Well, welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Vajera. I'm your host, and I'm so excited to be back with you. Today is Thursday. Thursday is the day that we drop a new podcast. And we are in a great series right now. I launched my book, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of, of, of Deconstruction. We're trying to reconstruct here. And so I want to thank you for tuning in, for subscribing to our podcast, for leaving a review, for checking in on Thursday nights, our live Facebook community time together. Uh, if you've been listening, then you know that we've been going through this uh, interview process of different people that I've talked about week after week as this book has launched uh, about what it looks like to be wounded by the church or just to be struggling with disillusionment in your faith and Christianity. And sadly, so much of our pain comes from the local church. And so today I, I, I'm really excited about the conversation that I'm going to be having with a really good friend of mine. His name is Ron Zapia. If you live in the Chicago area and you're sure you've heard of his name, I want to get into some of how I met him and, and how I've become part of his um, podcast. I'm part of the uh, supposed post-podcast conversations that he's been hosting. Amazing conversations uh, on a podcast called. Um, now there you go, Ron. I'm gonna have to remember the name Come of your on, podcast. It's the Gospel, the Culture, and Me, I believe. And so I'm so busy talking usually, usually after the conversations that I can barely remember the title. But but it is an awesome time of talking about very important cultural issues and a biblical perspective on them while challenging the status quo and just a lot of the ideas that have caused uh, many Christians to be disillusioned with the faith uh, we're talking about. And so Ron is the founding pastor of High, uh, of High Point Church in specifically the Naperville area. He uh, has a uh, multiplication church group, you know, sort of like a, a missionary church uh, organization called High Point Send Network, has written books uh, specifically. His main focus is on marriage, his wife, Jody, just a godly woman that I respect and and dearly love. And uh, uh, Ron, I'm just excited that you're here. We got to, you know, took a while to get you on here. Technically, we had some power <laughs> outages today, but right, you're here. And I'm right. so excited. Yeah. Hey, Lena, it is so good to be with you on your podcast. And man, I'm telling you, I'm just so thankful for you and your ministry. And uh, just for, for us to spend a little time here is just, uh, it's it's a thrill for me. So excited about all that God is doing through you and through this new book, Fractured Faith. I can hardly wait to dig in, but yeah. uh, man, it's, it's just good to, good to be hanging out. And I always, I always have to say it. I mean, now that I'm on your podcast, I got to tell your listeners, they know this already. Nobody can pronounce your last name, but you are just like Elvis. So we just <laughs> say Weena. That's all we say. And everybody knows. Jody and I, it's just like we have fun with it all the time, but it's like we just say Lena and that's it. And that's awesome. You're good to go. I'm so working. I was going to say Madonna. I was going to say Madonna, but I don't think I, I don't want to say that. So. That's funny. Well, it's anyway. one name. First name is all you need. Listen, man, we, my family, we're still arguing over how to pronounce the name, but we, we, you know, I'm here and, and listen, you and I share a lot in common. In fact, um, yeah. I, I sort of want to start with the hard stuff. You know, we've talked a lot about yeah. church hurt. We had several conversations. You're probably coming here in the mid of the conversations right. that I've had. And, and we both uh, are, were very closely affiliated with Harvest Bible Chapel. I worked there. You used to sure. work there and you were sort sure. of a legend. I mean, you are the first <laughs> church plant of Harvest, right? And so you were the first grandfather yeah. to the James right. McDonald legacy. Big deal. And and, um, and and so we'll get back to, the, to that. But I remember, uh, it's so funny because I didn't know you very well. And we, we had yeah. briefly through Moody Radio, I think we both did stuff there. So we had come across each other at the radio broadcast network. Sure. But I remember when, when, when I was asked to come speak at your church after I left Harvest. 
And first of all, I want to thank you for inviting, because I remember it was a very, yeah. very painful time in my own yeah. personal ministry. I didn't know if I would have a personal ministry. And I sort of de- talk about that a bit in my book, this, this idea yeah. of like everything I had vested in a church was at Harvest Bible Chapel and I leave and right. I just felt like, now what am I going to do? And here you were from the Harvest Network and you had asked me to, can, you guys, your woman's director had still asked me to come and speak to the woman. And right. it meant so much to me. To, oh. to know that I wasn't like off yeah. the grid, you know, I, was, I always felt like I was sure. kicked off the island. But you know, oh, if, if I've I've rarely gotten flack on on social media, admittedly, I and mean, people are I don't argue on social media. I don't get into big fights. Maybe a little about COVID, but by and large, I don't. <laughs> but I remember when I when that happened, and I put a few things yeah. like, "Hey, I'm going to be speaking at your church." I got some flack, man. I got some pushback. People weren't very happy yeah. about it. It was like. They felt like because you were the first church plant, because you were part of, you know, the pastoral ministry at Harvest, that you were sort of guilty as well. Did you feel that when we were living through that season? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, I think it's just good. You got to understand the context, you know, for me, I mean, and and honestly, you know, living in Chicagoland, ministering here, and I know you know our story, Jody and I, but for us, we came to Chicago. I wasn't even a Christian. We weren't Christians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we came here to work our jobs. And, you know, I wound up getting saved at Willow Creek Church, wow. both Jody and I. And then we found our way because of a love for God's word at the early days of Harvest Bible Chapel when they were just meeting at the high school in Rolling Meadows. So, I mean, the church was only five years old at that time. So it just, it's amazing to think back. I quit my job, went to seminary. So that was the only ministry that, you know, I had really ever been involved in. And so we were saved at Willow, if you can believe this, and then sent out by Harvest. So, wow. you know, and, and that was within the first, you know, I, I mean, I worked at Harvest Bible Chapel for five years while I was going to seminary. So I saw God do some amazing things. But I, I think you're right. Just to fast forward, um, you know, I've had friends uh, speak at our church that, you know, that maybe fell out of favor, if we could just say it like that, at, at, at Harvest and whatever. Um, but, you know, it, that's just not my, the way I roll. And, you know, I mean, I'm thankful for the history. And, you know, we were set up su- to succeed as we were planted by Harvest. But yeah. certainly, you know, we became our own church. And now, you know, it, it, it was, you know, I was at Harvest at a season when, man, it was just like the beginning. You know, they were getting into their first building. It wasn't multi-site. Um, the pastor there wasn't a household name, you know, around the nation. I mean, so we watched some of the things from afar, but certainly, um, you know, I understand the relationship there that I had. And, you know, we were probably more part of the Bible, um, you know, planting churches. So I became very involved in, you know, because we were the first church plant, as you said, we were really involved in helping, you know, with Harvest Bible Fellowship and planting churches all over the globe. I mean, we nearly planted 200 churches. So um, I get it. You know, there's a lot of guilt by association. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I, I can certainly understand, you know, how people are feeling. And, and I know, you know, during the, the difficult times when, um, you know, people were, you know, leaving Willow and leaving Harvest and, you know, Chicagoland has gone through a lot over the last couple of years. That, that's why I'm really excited to, to read your book um, and, and, and see because the healing was so necessary. I mean, I was seeing people. Some people I knew, some people I didn't know that were stepping in the doors of our church. And I know other pastors in the area, the same thing from these two huge ministries that had accomplished so much for the kingdom. And it was like you were pulling shrapnel out of the people. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad they were wounded. And so um, it was very a very difficult time, uh, you know, to say the least. Well, so um, and, and it was hard. 
Well, one of the things that, you know, like now people have, sadly, I mean, the stories of Chicago are not isolated. I mean, yeah. Stuff right. like that happen all over. And there's, in fact, a lot of conversation in social media and an entire podcast dedicated to some fallen ministries, you know, both, of course, right. Marcel and Liberty. And it's been fascinating to hear that. And one of the big, you know, finger pointing is the boards and the elder boards. And sure. you know, even on the show, we've talked about some of the, that dynamic, you know, how that fails. The, the idea that a leader can can siphon through, you know, kind of, you know, remove the people that it was very much mafia like you know like you're not on my page and you're out but so the, the other dynamic that played out in well in that type of church setting where you were sort of on your own it's an independent you know non-denominational right. church, but there was this greater fellowship so you know and, and, and it's public knowledge now that there was a lot of tension yeah. in the fellowship towards the last couple of years of of the leadership at harvest before the, the collapse of, of that era but what responsibility? I've been very intrigued by sort of also like evangelicals as a whole. Like you've got these famous leaders all over these conferences where people invite each other. So even though they're independent churches, they're sort of a, like first cousins, you know. And yet during that season, one of the painful things that I endured was that no one was really saying anything. Now, at least not publicly. Yeah. I think sometimes right. we forget that there may have been conversations behind the scenes. And, and I think the assumption for the average church member like myself was that no one cares about us. Like here we are, we're being you know, yeah. tossed to and fro and, and all these leaders are continuing, you know, in fact, to, some even defended the leadership at the time um, yeah. without getting into any names. But, but you know, of course, the Harvest Bible Fellowship eventually became part of the story of how everything played out. But like, I think some of the critique was maybe related to that. Like how much, what is the responsibility? Even now, looking back, do you think like, was there more that could have been done or was stuff being done behind the scenes? How do you communicate that to people without, you know, I mean, I think there's a sense in the church not to, you know, sort of this whole don't touch the anointed one of the Lord, don't speak negatively about right, the leaders. Right. There has to be a balance in that. Was was yeah. it achieved in any way? Was it? Were, did we miss the mark by miles? Yeah, I, I think that you're right. And I think, you know, just even, you know, I, I, I obviously I, I have a lot of friends that are pastors and, you know, being a founding pastor, even in our my own church, I, I think it's it's quite unique. You know, there's um, you know, it's a it's an interesting situation when you do found, when when you have the founder syndrome and, you know, there is a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of, you know, power and respect that's given, you know, appropriately or not um, to the person who started the church. And so I think it goes back to, you know, I can't speak as specifically to, you know, the situation in regards to that particular board at the church we're, we're looking at, but yeah. I can speak of boards. And I know even for myself, um, you know, I, I, I need truth tellers and, you know, I need truth tellers in my life in my church. I need truth tellers in my life um, outside of my church. I need truth tellers that are other pastors that, you know, have going through the same kind of thing in my life that know me and can understand me. And that's really, you know, something that's helpful for me is that I, I, I got to surround myself with people who are going to be partners, but are also going to be truth tellers. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, those people are hard to find and you've got to seek some of those people out in those relationships to stay whole and to stay healthy. You know, you look at the situation that we're talking about in regards to ministries where a found a, a pastor has great charismatic gifts, and you know we're we're seeing it. I mean, you know the the you know everybody's listening to the Who Killed Mars Hill podcast. I mean that thing is just unbelievable. But here you've got you know Mark Driscoll, a, a, a unbelievably charismatic and talented person, and it kind of his you know they say it like this, and 
his charisma, you know, outpaced his character. And there was there was nobody that 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 he submitted himself to or that he got involved with that 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 was able to trump that. And so, you know, I I can only look at my own experience and say, you know, when I started our church, now we're 20 years old. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, we came out and I I had gotten guys on my older board and we used to meet weekly. And I just picked guys that were older than me, that were in business, that like uh, literally because I'm like, I, I needed a support group because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I needed guys who could really tell me how to, you know, start an organization, how to, you know, get the church moving. And I remember those early days, man, it was like a support group for me just because I, I was a bit in over my head. And then now, you know, I've been in ministry for a while and I don't want to say that I've got it all figured out, but certainly I've paid a lot of stupid tax. And now I'm the older guy and I'm looking for, you know, younger people, but also really mature people who I can put in roles of leadership where they have the same level of authority and responsibility and they can call you out. And so, you know, that's one of the things I think that often goes uh, is difficult when you look at some of these churches that are led by some of these extremely charismatic leaders and preachers. Um, I just got to tell you this. I've been around a couple of them. You know, you have too. And I would just, it's so easy to look in and say, man, somebody should have did this or somebody should have that. There's just, it's really difficult to explain. I, I would say there's some people that can only be experienced and not explained. Yeah. And, and I, I got to tell you that. And, and I just want to hold on that for a moment because experience, what I mean by experience, it's like you can't explain it. And, and I know people in the business world who operate in such a way mm-hmm. where their gifts are such, where it's just like, you cannot believe it. And, and that quite honestly, sometimes it's like, I don't even want to be around that. And so, you know, I've been around a couple leaders like that where you just, it, it, they can't be explained. And so, you know, people have said to us, you know, man, did you know something? Did you get out? You changed your name. Yeah, and, yeah. You, you, you know, I mean, honestly, we did it years before you know, this thing went, went, went the way it did. And now you have Harvest Bible Fellowships, Harvest Bible Chapel churches all over the country um, who have nearly all changed their name as that organization, Harvest Bible Fellowship has, has gone into. And really, I like to look at the good thing. The good thing is it went from, you know, one organization and certainly it fell, but it broke into five different church planning organizations that, you know, are really going strong. So I, I do like to look at the positive and, and see that. But, you know, a lot of people say, Hey, you know, you, you guys, you know, changed. Did you see something that, you know, you changed your name first. And, you know, I just, you know, there was a lot of things that were, I was in my own heart wrestling with, you know, apart from the leadership issues that some I knew, some I didn't know about at, at that, at the main church. And right. so for us, it was just like, man, I always felt like I had a coat on that didn't quite fit me. Uh, I think, you know, my heart, I'm an evangelist at heart. I mean, I, I really am. And, and there was just, you know, it was, I want to be candid. They they did some really great things to help us get going. But I think as we matured and as I caught a vision for what God wanted for us, you know, it, it wasn't going to be, you know, for me to, to be, you know, in that group. And, and I just needed some room to breathe and some room to grow. So, you know, those were the things that led us to, to really changing um, you know, our name and kind of getting our own vision. And, you know, the Harvest Bible Fellowship was really set up as a franchise. And so there's right. franchise models all over the place. And I, I, I don't know if I, I would be the person that would be the franchise guy forever, you know? How, well, so yeah. I know we're jumping around, around. What do you guys do? Maybe, like, maybe how, that is, helps. how is your church network different? 
Yeah. So what we're trying to do is, and again, I, I don't think it's wrong. If you look at, you know, look at Harvest Bible Chapel for a moment. And I, you know, I was there during their early days, you know, year number five through year number 10. And, you know, I would just say, you know, they were patterning themselves off of what God was doing through the yeah. movement of Calvary Chapel. I mean, that was, you know, they wanted to be the modern day Calvary Chapel. And I, I really respected that with worship and, and teaching mm-hmm. and, 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 and leadership, uh, biblical leadership, where volunteers were given, you know, much room to grow, mature and do ministry. And so, you know, what we've said in the network that we're part of is we just said, hey, you know what, instead of just saying everybody's got to have the same name and this, we're, we're really principle based. So we like to teach the principle behind the thing. You don't have to call it this or call it that. And so, you know, that's kind of how we're structured. Um, so you don't have to have the mm-hmm. same name and, you know, have the same pillars and have the same values and have, you know, there's more common things in ministry doctrinally and practically speaking that we gravitate around for some more freedom in what you want to do um, and be principle based in how we support and grow each other. So that's kind of how we've been doing it with uh, with High Point Sun Network. What, what, what's your take in general? It does make sense. I appreciate that. How, well, what's your take in general on mega church movements? Like, there's been a lot of critique of like, like people get into sort of this. And, and by the way, I don't think size is the problem here necessarily, but there has been sort of a wave of like the mega church wave between 2000, you know, maybe late 90s. Yeah, totally. And, and then in the last few years, sort of this, especially the disease and maybe the millennials and under where they're like, they're almost skeptical of anything that's bigger than yeah, right. a certain number of people. And they want to go back to sort of a more traditional type of even Eucharist focused, you know, worship. There's a kind of a push yeah. towards that. I mean, what do you think that's fair to critique them? I mean, what, what still works about mega church movements now? And I, what is I just, yeah, I think, again, it's just so it's so hard to, you know, and now you and I, you know, we're getting, you know, we're not getting any younger and we're looking at the movements that we've been part of. And, you know, I just jumped on going to church at Willow Creek Community yeah. Church. I didn't know what a mega church was. I was just like, man, I came out of a traditional church environment, unsaved. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is church, a guy with a suit and a tie. And he's talking he, he like to me because at that time I was in the business world. And it's like what he's saying is relevant to my life. Like I never experienced church like that before. So to to be part of the early days, and I, I call it, you know, the first version. I mean, you know, of mega church was guys on video screens and all that. And, you know, we're just, that's not our model that we're doing. You know, I do believe in what you're saying. Um, I'm not saying that it's wrong for people to do that because I think, you know, there's not one way to do church. There's multiple ways, but we've been, you know, obviously, we, we don't believe we have the only way, but we have a way that we're doing. And and for me personally, um, you know, we've got five locations and we're getting ready to open two more locations, one in Hinsdale and one in St. Charles. The difference with our, uh, the way we're doing it is, you know, I really believe in um, preaching at the location, live preaching. Hmm. And so I'm, I'm spending my time in my years now training up pastors, um, lead local lead pastors, we call them. And, and really to do this, to teach God's word. And so we've got guys standing up and teaching God's word in each of our locations uh, with live teaching. And we really believe in that. And, and we've seen some fruit of that. But I think what you're saying is true that, you know, look at Generation Z and, you know, these, these you know, the millennials and, 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 you know, I look at my own daughter, you know, my youngest who's in college and like, you know, we've missed it. It's like the church, if we're not doing something in the community and if we're not, you know, helping um, do some things in the church versus just come and see and be part of our big program, uh, we're just going to miss it. And so, you know, we're trying to really get involved. You know, we're experimenting right now with a 
possible opportunity in downtown Chicago where we would be planting a church through a care center as opposed to planting just a church where, hey, come and check us out. And, you know, we got this big, huge stuff and we got, you know, great preaching and live worship and, you know, some some uh, smoke uh, machines. I mean, we don't do that, yeah. but you know what I mean? It's, it's well, not yeah, about I mean, just a big event. Well, and, and one but of the I, things that, that when you have the local pastors, I mean, one of, I think in some ways, one of my critiques of, of the megachurch movement is this idea like of the main pastors being just a preacher, like you're like a communicator. Yeah. And that's it. And it's like, right. there's not really, and so, so the, you know, a lot of the multi-campus sites have worked around it by saying, well, you've got a local pastor that sort of shepherds the people, but there is such an authority with the preaching of God's word that comes where you do feel a certain sense of, you know, there's a pastoral ministry that's almost lacking when you become just a speaker. And so it is interesting to me. I think there is such a value in having, I am of the belief that you need uh, local pastors who teach on a regular basis. So, because it creates an environment of shepherding, I think that's, that's unique. So I think it's, that's, that's really important. Uh, you guys ventured into much more, at least I, I have observed, maybe you were always doing that, but it seems more more pronounced sort of helping people's urgent needs. The, um, you have uh, during the COVID, you started giving out a lot of meals and supplies and yeah. things like that. Tell, talk a bit about your vision in that. Like, was that something that happened organically or was it something you were always doing? It just seems like it's become, uh, you know, almost like, like I joke, Willow Creek has always been really good about like, doing that kind of work and then Bible, yeah. Bible chapter has been really strong on preaching and it, I always felt like yeah, totally. you needed a merge of both and you seem to be sort of doing a merge of both so how did you guys venture into more work that helps people's practical needs yeah you know I think we really have been asking the questions in the locations we're at is you know what can we do in the community to make a mark and you know you know if we're you know high point church do we really care and if we really care, what are we doing in the community? And so we began several years ago, instead of building a bigger building in Naperville, our main location, and, and being, building a bigger auditorium, we just said, hey, you know what, let's go to the people. So that became, you know, the movement uh, that has grown into multiple locations, you know, throughout the suburbs of Chicago. And so that decision, we really said, hey, we want to establish care centers at each of our locations. And so, again, um, a little bit different in that. It, it, you're right. It, it went ten. It multiplied ten x during COVID, and so we've had relationships with you know uh, different organizations and even different schools in some of the cities we're in, where we're feeding the kids and doing things like that. Um, so we got into that game, and we just saw let's meet the needs of the people in the community. And you know we don't want to open up another you know food bank and just for that. I mean we truly believe. I mean you know I know you and I are united in this. I mean Jesus yeah. had a two pronged strategy. It was like care and share. He said, you know, repent and believe. And then, but then he went out and the Bible talks so much about how he healed the sick and he had his disciples do that. And I look at that for us today. Certainly, I believe that God's gifts have not ceased and that healing still does happen. However, how can we, you know, be modern day? What does that look like to, to go out and heal? Well, we've got to, you know, bandage people up and provide for their needs. So yeah. we really love the care and the share philosophy where we've got care centers in each of our locations. That, you know, we're not just, it's just not about, you know, putting the clothing on their back or giving them some food or, you know, we do a lot with single moms, giving them diapers and, and helping them with their kids, throwing baby showers. Like we're doing all this stuff. And, but it's, it's not just about giving them that it's the spiritual food. Yeah. And so it's so cool. I mean, there's one woman, her name is unique in our church. That is her name. She is unique. And she came to our care center, you know, just in dire need. Um, you know, she was pregnant and wasn't sure what she was going to do. 
and we rallied around there. Small groups rallied around her. They threw her baby shower. I mean, it was unbelievable how we supported her through the birth of her child. And the reason I'm telling that story is because what's so cool now is, you know, Unique is in our Naperville Care Center, and she's serving on the weekends and helping people the same way we helped her. So she's giving back to the community. And, and so we've really seen, you know, that I think that is one of the things for the next generation church of, you know, we really have to be more practical in terms of rather than just come and see on the weekend, our big service, it's like, what are we doing in the communities to really help people? And, you know, that's where we've kind of put our attention. And again, we don't have it figured out, but, but we're, we're trying and, and we're failing and, and, and we're just trying again. So that's well, I mean, the, the couple of areas. So looking generationally too, I mean, I know you've got three daughters who are sort of in that under 30 age. Yeah. You probably are quite, you know, in tune to what's happening in that generation, but like in general, like I think about um, the critique. And so one was, has always been in, in my observation hearing conversations with that, you know, that, population is that we don't do enough to help people. So I think, you know, there's definitely yeah. a push where people, a lot of biblical churches were very heavy on preaching the gospel, but low on works. Right. The other thing that's been a kind of very much in the social media conversation now and sort of at, at attention in evangelicalism is, is this balance between like how much you get involved politically and some of the issues that are so relevant in our country. I know you and I have spent a lot of time on your, your podcast, you know, talking about the, you know, the role of the church in terms of, fighting racism and BLM movement and, and even gender equality. I mean, I mean, we're both complementarian, but like issues that are so important in our culture that the LGBTQ plus movement, I mean, like a lot of times the church has not really been very, if, if not active in terms of being very clear or very judgmental, like very extremist in terms of how we've handled it as opposed to leading with love. And so you guys have, in fact, this podcast was sort of birthed in the last year or so. Talk a little bit about that. What is the responsibility of the church to address some of those topics that are harder to address? And how do you, how do you not lose your biblical ground while still, you know, while still being relevant? Is it, I mean, is it better in some controversial topics just to avoid conversation or to tread the waters of uncertainty of not knowing? Sometimes I don't know answers when people ask me difficult questions. Is it okay? How much do we need to know and justify and fight for the gospel while still, you know, maintaining some connection with the culture we're living in? Yeah, you know, it, Lena, you just you just hit on all the you know, all the hard <laughs> topics right now because you know it used to be I used to be able to just say from the front, hey, we're about people, not politics, and man, I could just say that and people rejoiced in that, and you know, and I still believe in some ways that's true. You know, I, I I've always encouraged our people, you know, man, bring your Bible into the voting booth, and and you better vote with your biblical, you know, Christian worldview, and but you know the last year and a half or more i mean it it is it is a trying time it is the most um divisive time that i've experienced as a pastor um in the church uh if you do say one thing and you don't say another thing you're going to divide your congregation if you mention the name of george floyd but you don't call out the riots you are going to lose people I, i mean i've never experienced something like this so i think in some churches to be quite frank if it's one kind of people and one kind of belief and there's not a lot of diversity in your church it hasn't been that hard of a time for people yeah. you know if you line up on one side or you know you're either red or blue um but in a church like ours for instance um you know we've got people from a variety of different places and perspectives and a lot of diversity and so it has been extremely difficult um you know during these last few days and i'll be honest we've you know we we we've, we have been 
um, fighting with, you know, um, standing up for racial reconciliation. This isn't new for me. I mean, we've had um, Dr. John Perkins speak at our Perkins, who you're aware of, uh, speak at our church, you know, and man, he's in his 90s, civil rights leader who, I mean, he was just amazing. We had him at our church six years ago. Like we've entered into that conversation. So I think our church knew where we had. I had uh, I had um, Eric Mason speak at our men's conference. I mean, so we've kind of, you know, that's been back in 2018. So we've kind of been talking about some of these issues. So I don't think it was a major knee jerk or head swing. I think in, in places where you haven't been addressing the issues, it is when it's been more difficult. And, you know, I certainly would not ignore and not avoid but, you know, I'll be honest, we've lost people in our church over what they perceive me to believe about a certain thing, public, uh, uh, you know, uh, politically. And um, I mean, I just texted them with a woman yesterday and, you know, she, you know, and she it was guilt by association. You know, somebody who is a teaching pastor uh, in our church <laughs> wrote a column and, you know, I said, hey, you know, I mean, um, you know, just because he says that doesn't mean that's what I believe. And. Or maybe it is, you know, it, like, again, it, it's like it's it, it's this whole idea that we are so radically opposed and at extremes that it's 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 a very difficult time to do ministry. So do you, do you think Jesus was political? Like, it's interesting to think about him in the Gospels. Yeah. Justify him. Yeah. I, I mean, let's face it. I mean, he just, you know, he stood up for the marginalized. He stood up for the people who were going through pain and difficulty. He didn't get into the issues politically and let them overtake them. But he used, you know, the difficulties that people were experiencing facing via politics um, to bring people. And look who was following him. He had a political zealot following him. I mean, he, you know, so the, the broadness of what he was able to do, uh, I think, is something for us to get back to. But again, I, I think part of it is, I think there's a lack of theology um, in many churches that we don't know what we believe. And so when we come to a difficult situation, um, you know, we, we find ourselves, you know, going from one extreme to the other. So um, I, I really do think that, you know, a Christian worldview uh, is missing um, in, in our in, in, in some of our churches with the biblical backgrounds that, that we have. We're not as mature as we think we are. And I think that we've been discipled. And, you know, you've heard this line. I'm not the first one to say it, but I think Fox News and I think you know, MSB, NBC, and I, I think, you know, they're, they're doing a better job discipling people, our people than we are. And, um, you know, issues like immigration and issues, you know, in regards to, um, you know, race and, and, and these things, um, you know, that's why we started our podcast and which right. we were so thankful to have you on it. It was gospel culture. Me, it's like, what are the issues that we should be talking about in church that we're not talking about? Let's get some people from different perspectives to talk on those issues so that we can, you know, uh, kind of be more intelligent about what we should respond and how we should respond as Christians. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, Jesus was just smarter than us. <laughs> <laughs> right. He wasn't as worried about losing the crowds. I mean, at the end, we did. No, he wasn't. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he wasn't worried about it. And, and neither, you know, I can say that, you know, with boldness on this call, neither am I, but it hurts, though. You know, when you're misunderstood and, you know, it hurts when people, um, you know, I, I think, you know, question, you know, uh, and uh, who you are and your beliefs after they've been with you for so long. You're like, well, wait a minute. How could you think that? You know, but but there's, you know, it's just we're all human and, how and we're you, all trying to. How, how would you, coming back to sort of like 
the, the, the foundation of this, this series that we're doing right now with Church Hurts. I do want to kind of come back and land on that yeah. for a few minutes as we come to the end. So, so I, I remember when I left, you know, my last place and sort of walked through my own hurt. And, and by God's grace, I never left the church. I mean, I had a lot of internal wrestling. I, I, I distanced myself from God in some ways, I think, looking back. Um, but mostly also distancing myself from God's people, I think, you know, showing up in person, but sort of building barriers. But sadly, many had a much sadder story of actually leaving. Like, I can't tell you how many people are just like, I'm not going to church anymore. And and not just at the church that I was involved in, but across the board now, you hear people that have watched ministries and crumble, you know, the Ravi Zacharias ministry, I think one of the oh, most, goodness, yeah. closest, you know, things that have happened in the last couple of years. How, how do you pass or someone who may have landed even now listening to us talk about this? Like they're hurting, not just hurting, but like they no longer believe in God. You know, they're deconstructed, I guess is the word. Is there, I mean, are these are people who have gone to that extreme where now they just don't show up? Do you, do you question whether they ever knew the Lord or is the pain so deep that you just like, what do you, how do you help a person or maybe someone's listening, their kids or their, you know, siblings have walked through this and maybe they're still believing, but they're watching someone in their life hurting to the degree where they don't want to even hear about it. How do you come alongside and love them back to Jesus, I guess, if there is such a thing? Yeah, I, I think there is. And, I, you know, I think that, you know, this is part of the issue is, you know, you've got to, you know, sometimes people just need to be heard and, you know, they need to be, their experience need to be validated that, you know what, uh, I mean, I think about the victims that, some of the churches we're talking about, um, they went through much pain and much difficulty. And so I think walking with people through their hurt is, is extremely helpful. That's why I'm excited about your book um, that can help walk people through that. But I, I think we, you know, we too quick try to find an answer. I, I don't know if there is an answer um, healing. I, I do believe that, you know, that we're in a time and a season right now where faith is being deconstructed. My caution is just that, you know, you got to reconstruct it, though. You know, you can't sit there and, you know, you've got to, you know, if you're going to deconstruct it, well, what are you going to build back to learn? And, you know, I don't think doubt is a bad thing. I think, you know, people have said it better than me, but faith and doubt go hand in hand. And, you know, you need fit, you need, you need doubt to inform your faith so that you can become stronger. Yeah. Um, so doubt is not a bad thing at all. Um, but I, you know, one of the resources that I, 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 I hand out regularly, it's a little book and I, maybe you've seen it. It's, uh, the tale of three Kings by Gene Edwards, yeah, great. Uh, study of the lives of Saul, David, and Absalom. And, you know, I've given this to people who've come to the front of our church who, you know, have, have said that, um, you know, I can remember one girl specifically and she was in a cult and, you know, it was like, you know, and, and she got free and, you know, um, and, and, and that was a resource that, that, that really helped her. But one of the, one of the quotes in that book is it says something like this. Why does God do such a thing? You know, answering, you know, how does he raise, how do these leaders raise up like this? And, and the author says the answer is both simple and shocking. He sometimes gives us unworthy vessels, a greater portion of power so that it might be eventually revealed for all to see the true state of eternal nakedness without that man. Mm. And, I, you know, it's an interesting quote and, and I can't explain you know, but, but God is at work behind the scenes and, and, and he, he takes these, you know, individuals who he gives, you know, they get this power. And when this power is abused, you know, power in itself is not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when it's abused. You know, there's a great resource um, from Andy Crouch um, that I'll often refer people to. Uh, it's called Playing God. It's talks about redeeming the gift of power. So, you know, these are just a couple of resources, I think, to right size your thinking about power. But it's it's so abused in the church, from legalism and you know yeah. uh, in, 
in so many different ways. And, you know, but I, I, I just, you know, as, as a guy who's just looking to God's word to give me help, I, you know, the, the, the word says he's near to the brokenhearted. And, and if I can just, you know, sit and listen and help share some of the experiences that I've had in ministry, um, you know, I, I mean, I've done it. You know, I, I'm sure there's people that, have, you know, that I, I wish that I would have treated differently and, and um, in, in ways and listened more. And, and there's some things that we learned. I, I mean, that's one of the things I always see now when I see somebody who, you know, has been to our church or maybe they moved away or, you know, they went to another church and because there's something called the seven year itch where we do ministry. People go for about seven years and then they, they move around. So we, I've been doing this long enough to where I see them come back. And, um, and what's funny though, is I, I often, when I see somebody who helped us start in those first, you know, 10 years and man, I just, I see them at the, you know, at, at Target or something. And I just, I, I've, I've learned to just, man, I just thank them. Thank you for the ministry that you poured in. You know, you believed in this when there was nothing here and your faith and your giving and your, your sacrifice, man, you, we wouldn't have been doing what we're doing now if yeah. it wasn't for you. And so I, I just, um, I think there's a little bit, you know, God is gracious in the midst of this and I, I can't explain uh, the hurt and the pain. Um, but, but my heart, um, my heart goes out to those who have been severely hurt and damaged, um, in the church. And, you know, it, it just gives me a greater passion to, um, surround myself with, uh, men who, um, are going to help me to finish this thing. Well, I don't think I've ever been committed to that as I am, um, mm -hmm. now, uh, I meet with a group of pastors regularly from around the country that, you know, we talk, I'm, I'm going to be uh, heading, um, out to, to one of these gatherings and, I mean, it's, it's forced all of us because we know the names and we know some of the people and, you know, we do, so we sit around, we, we say, Hey, you know, some of those guys, man, they, 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 they can, they can't be explained. They can only be experienced. Like you don't understand once you experience this, yeah. um, but we need each other and to help hold each other accountable and help each other to grow through some of these painful times. So. How do you? Uh, I don't know if that answers the question. I, I'm well, kind of no, rambling a little bit. You got it, me. You got well, me on no, it's, it's all hopeful, and I, I think I think it's good, Pastor. And I, I mean, how would you? Last time, I, I mean, I especially want to maybe minister to somebody who may be listening, who's I think mostly yeah. people's family members. Maybe they've prayed for them forever. How do you encourage your people to keep praying when either they don't feel like God is listening anymore, or maybe they're just disillusioned their prayer life? Like, man, I've prayed for 20 years for something that's not happened. How do you yeah. restore the power of prayer in people's hearts? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's funny. I just taught on the parable of the soils yesterday at our church. We're doing a series called Essentials. And I was just struck by, you know, we know those soils represent the different hearts. And I think at times we can think it's only about the big seed of salvation, you know, that uh, there's a hard heart and a shallow heart and a rocky heart and a crowded heart. And then there's the good soul. But I think it's the little seeds of salvation, uh, sanctification, excuse me, where, you know, where people get hurt. And, and sometimes our hearts are hard to to some of these other seeds of biblical truth. And I, I, you know, I was, I was struck as I was teaching this yesterday that, you know, it's not how we as sowers throw the seed, you know, through the legs and around the back and, you know, how fancy, how much knowledge we know it, you know, God prepares the heart. And, and so I've just always prayed John six forty four for people who don't know the Lord. It's the one, the Lord is the one who draws them in and draws them to the name of Jesus. And, and for our brothers and sisters who are hurting that, that we could just pray God's uh, healing power. Um, to restore the faith that they had and, and ask him what kind of role we play. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you and I both agree, it, it, you know, it isn't, you know, it, it isn't me and the expertise I have. I'm not going to be able to, you know, throw the seed and it's going to get planted and, and, and spring some kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's going to spring forth into some fruitful tree. I, I mean, God's got to do the work. 
and um, I, you know, I, I, I trust him and believe in his sovereignty enough to know that he knows what he's doing. Um, no man is, 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 is beyond his power and his control. And, and these leaders that fall, you know, this isn't the first time leaders have fallen and they fall. And although I don't understand it, I know God is still on the throne yeah. and um, he uses these ministries. You know, I've been a part of them. He uses yeah. these ministries. And, and you just like, what do you do? How do you, how do you reconcile this? I don't have the answer, but, but I know that God's bigger than that. And, well, and, um, and you, you hit on the parables. I mean, I think I, th- I found in my life, like having a soft heart, like that's a gift from God. Yeah. Like, sometimes I think, how do yeah. I clean a soft heart? Like, and lately I just realized, like, I just got to ask God, like, I don't know that we can soften our own hearts. Like I want to, right. but if the person who might be asking that question, I mean, you almost have to just also by faith be like, God, I, I feel a hardness in my yeah. heart, whether it's due to, you know, hurt by other people, whether it's due to unanswered prayers, or you do disillusionment in your life. Like, how do you get back to that place where the soil is falling on a soft heart? And I think one thing, yeah. rather than escaping the, the very disciplines that might create a soft heart is leaning into them, even when it doesn't right. feel like it's doing anything, but then trusting God to sort of take that hoe and soften the heart and do whatever needs to, to happen to, to, to keep us in a place of responding to the spirit and, and sensing his presence again. I talked a lot about that in the book, but I think that's, yeah, that's good. I think the Christian who, who flourishes ultimately, I mean, you know, after all these years in ministry, like, like, it's not like, Oh, I, I, I got the spirit once. Like, I mean, I know the spirit's living in us, but like, there's a constant dependence on God to sort of experience the Holy spirit again. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you're right. And I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm looking forward to what this resource is going to do, the book that you've um, written to help people who are in that midst of that pain. And, you know, it's hard to identify at times with yeah. some of this hurt. Yeah. Um, I, I remember I remember when, um, you know, Joe Stoll, who was the president of Moody Bible, I, I had an opportunity to, to, to talk with him on a number of occasions. And and one of the things he said to me is when I was, you know, just kind of getting started with our own church here. And he just said, he said, you know, and he told Jody and I, uh, my wife and I, this, and, and he said, you know, I just going to pray for you guys that one of the things that we've learned is you got to, you got to have thick skin and a soft heart. That's good. And, and I've always, I've always remembered that because, you know, you got to have thick skin, you know, even for me as a pastor with, you know, that, you know, you take a couple shots and, and I, I think people can, you know, it, it can harden your heart. And, yeah. and, you know, some of these leaders that, you know, they, they you know, they can do no wrong and, and their hearts don't remain soft in certain areas. And this entitlement, you know, uh, comes in. And I, I just I just think, man, if I can keep a thick skin and, and not get too worried about what people are going to say or what kind of people do and, and keep the soft heart for people, I, I think that, um, you know, that's the advice that, that I would give to a, a pastor. And, and I, I think that's what we need, even as people. You know, because the church has hurt so many people, um, but God is there. Amen. And, um, well, and what, he's, he's available. I don't talk enough about marriage on this podcast. So tell the people listening about your resource. You have a great uh, program, yeah. a book, and and tell us a little bit more about what you do with that. Yeah, you know, Jody and I, we've um, that's how we came to Christ is through a fit. Uh, you know, Jody was going to divorce me. It's no secret. <laughs> um, you can buy, you know get the book and turn to page fifty two, and you could word, read about my worst sins and everything else. And <laughs> but I I say that only to say, you know, um, she could have divorced me for what I had done, and and she should have. And some people were telling her to, and and God broke through. And in that instance, we both sat in the pastor's office, and um, we both received the forgiveness that Christ offers at the same time. Uh, at Willow Creek, you know, back many years ago. And um, 
you know, we were, I was 27 years old. Jody was, you know, 25 and, and that changed our life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what got me into ministry. And, and so little by little, we've learned that, you know, we started applying the biblical truth. So we have a resource. Uh, Moody was really uh, thankful. They, they, they love the fact that it, it's so heavy on the gospel. So maybe if you, you know, there's all kinds of marriage resources out there, but people, you know, it's either marriage enrichment or marriage restoration. They kind of lean towards one or the other. So mm-hmm. enrichment being, hey, you know, how do we get a little tune up? Where restoration is, you know, we, we need to replace the engine, you know, I and mean, this thing mm-hmm. is, is falling apart. And so our book kind of hits on both because, you know, we started out on such a wrong foot, um, but it's the gospel wired through. So if you if you know somebody out there who's suffering in a bad, difficult situation in marriage, unforgiveness in a difficult season, um, and they're non-believers, you know, this is a resource that I think would be really helpful to them as it presents the gospel um, really clearly. But it's called um, The Marriage Knot, and it's seven um, choices. And so these are seven choices to keep couples together. And so we have a big passion, you know, just to to apply biblical truth in, in normal everyday living. And it's just like tying a knot. If you, you know, if, you, if you're not, if, if you don't check the knot, it'll get unloosened. And, and so this is all about tighten the knot and making the hard choice every day to stay on path and, and, uh, and Ron, you, do what I'm told. I get a lot of emails from people who like one person is interested in, in tying the knot stronger. Yeah, right. Might not be interested. Yeah. But the principle still apply. Is that a book that might still be useful for? Yeah. I, I think it is. And I, I think it would be. Yeah, because it's going to focus on what that per, what the one person needs to do mm. um, to not lose hope and to keep moving in the right direction. And then, you know, you, you can't make somebody else, you know, you, you, Jody, yeah. uh, Jody's mom told her this and she said it. I, I hope she didn't say it about me, but I think she did. But she told her when we got married, she said, you can't alter them at the altar. <laughs> so, that's good. That's true. <laughs> Maybe so four years later, how long you got to marry? But I, I'm joking for the for the you know, and it's a serious thing for the for the you know spouse that you know is they're not seeing the change they need. Yeah. Um, and the others, um, but I, I really do believe there's some things you can do that that God will work on you to strengthen you in such a way where whether the other person changes or not, you're going to be the 2.0 version of yourself that you need to be. Um, to, to make whatever decision you need to make to move forward. So uh, I think it's a help to both. Well, man, I, I really thank you for coming on, Ron. And, and your website is ronzapia.com, R-O-N-Z-A-P-P-I-A. Uh, now, the Gospel, Culture, and Me uh, podcast, is there a link on that website or what's the easiest way for people to find yeah, you- you can we're on you, there's a link to that on the website and honestly you can just plug in anywhere you get podcasts if you just type in either ron zapia or you put in the gospel culture and me it'll come up and uh, i'll be working on just type in lena and it'll come up too i gotta <laughs> stop i gotta do that because we, we do a unique thing i'll tell you listeners we do a unique thing so we you know i'll interview somebody for you know 35 or 40 minutes like we're doing here and then we have an opportunity um, where we do a little kitchen table and Lena as well as myself and a guy by the name of Derek Puckett, a real good friend of mine, uh, who's got a, a church, Renewal Church in the city of Chicago. And uh, we all just sit around and kind of kind of talk like friends and just like, like, hey, what was this guy talking about? Was, it, was that any good? And, and you guys usually critique me more than the person, <laughs> but other than that, but uh, no, but it's a great, uh, great podcast. Just uh, we're, we're seeing God do some cool things through it. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, so it's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be on that. It's a fun. It's a great group. First of all, that's probably my highlight is getting together with you guys and hashing those topics out. But really, a chance to talk about some real life stuff that are happening and and talking about them biblically and intelligently. And so I, I'm just grateful that you have invited me there. And I'm looking forward to this Thursday. We're going to be recording some more. Yes. And uh, I'm glad the computer worked. This was really helpful. And yes, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm hey. always. Grateful for you, Pastor. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, we, 
we, we love you, Jody, and I love you, Lena, and uh, we're just, uh, we're 120% behind you, supporting you. You've been a, a model of Christian character in the, in the, you know, in the world of medicine and in, in helping young ladies, and man, I'm just, uh, we're excited. So we're really excited about all the things that God's doing through you and supporting it 100%. So great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, uh, I so appreciate you coming on. Uh, remember that we are here every Thursday, but on Thursday nights, I teach live on Facebook at our Living With Power Facebook community page. We're right now doing a book club. So we're reading the book together, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. If you, hadn't got, if you haven't gotten the book yet, get on any of the uh, book purchasing sites, including Amazon. Uh, you'll get it probably before the night is over if you order it there. And hey, we'd love to meet you in person there. And if you're looking for just free resources, uh, Bible teaching, whatnot, for ministry, check out our website, livingwithpower.org. As usual, I'll leave you with a reminder that you are not alone. God is with you. He's nearer than you think. And when you think that he's done, he's just getting started. So know that you're being prayed for, you're loved. And I will see you again next Thursday. 